I plan to go to law school after I graduated, but uh, looks like my folks won't have enough money to put me through college. Well, the world needs ditch diggers, too. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans. Then I became the CEO man. Are you ready to be mentored by some of the best minds in entrepreneurship in the world? Then you're listening to the right podcast, Ditch Digger CEO. We're going to be interviewing CEOs and founders who'll be telling their amazing rags to riches stories. These entrepreneurs who dominate the industries they serve will be sharing the secrets to their success. We'll be talking to millionaires and billionaires. Many who started with nothing. You're going to be mentored with golden nuggets of shared experiences from my guest, whose time is worth thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars per hour. I started in the paving business right out of high school. And with no college education, mentorship has been my education of choice. I started over 25 companies in the last 20 years, have generated over $1.5 billion in revenues. My guarantee is this. If you listen to Ditch Digger CEO and you want to be more successful, you will become more successful. The secrets of my success and for many of the world's greatest business leaders will be revealed. Let Ditch Digger CEO mentor you. Welcome to Ditch Digger CEO, Eric Ware. Uh, you, you know, we, we, uh, I, I stalked you a little bit, got a couple friends of mine that know you and, and uh, had a great conversation with you not long ago to understand you're a cool dude and uh, we want to hear your story, buddy. So. Um, I've got my 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 friend and uh, and one of our one of our teammates here at the Rayvine Group, a young man uh, Robbie that's on with us, and, and we'd like to get a couple a couple perspectives. I like I like Robbie asking his uh, his millennial minded questions to you as well. As there you go, Robbie. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we got you covered. <laughs> I've got millennials in my house. <laughs> so you know what they you know what they look like. Bring them up. That's good. Yeah, I've seen them. Yeah, yeah, I've seen yeah. them. Yeah, I've got I've got a few of them also. So yeah, yeah they're yeah. A different breed. That's why I put them on with us. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, so so uh, welcome to Ditch Digger CEO, brother, and thanks for thanks for spending the time with us. I good to be it. here. Good to be here. Love it. So, so our goal, uh, Eric, uh, is always on Ditch Digger CEO, is really to, to, to dive in, to, to try and come up with, you know, figure out the nuggets for success that you found, and, and uh, as, we, as we do always. And, and Robbie, at the, end of the, at the end of the podcast, will kind of take some notes, and he's going to throw out those notes of what he found as the nuggets of success, the laws of success that, that he got out of our conversation, okay? So that's kind sure, of our sure. goal. We're, so let's, we, want, we want to start out with, who the hell are you, man? Who, who are you today, Eric? And, and, and what, how do you think about the, the, the stuff you're doing today? And then, and then we're going to bounce into kind of your upbringing after that. So let's do it. it. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, my name is Eric Weir, father of five, five sons. I've got them all the way from 22 down to age seven. It's a fantastic fun. Uh, I have one in graduate school, two in, a, in college, and two in, two in private school. So... So, so, so I need to keep working, but, but, but it's a lot of fun, a tremendous amount of fun. So today I'm, I do everything from, from money management. Uh, we've helped in the marketing and finance of faith-based films. Uh, we've either marketed or financed uh, between six or seven of the, the, the top 10 grossing faith-based films of the last decade. Uh, we also uh, are into physical real estate. You've heard of Top Golf. We, we own a number of Top Golfs in the U.S., and we are, we are now beginning to develop uh, some in, in Western Europe. 
Uh, we also develop we'll develop our finance, uh, multi-purpose real estate. Um, anything from a you know couple hundred thousand foot office uh, office tower to then uh, we also involved in self storage, and we run um, some money management. And our money management, uh, we have uh, maybe seventy clients we work with. Uh, four or five of them have been on the Forbes list or are currently on the Forbes list. The rest are not. And we we manage money in what we call long only portfolios, meaning you buy you buy things and hope they go up. And we also do a long short where you, you, you kind of try to t take advantage of moves in the market and, and whether the market's going to up or down. Uh, so so the, the, that's what we do. So we have about 18 people who work with me and we serve 70 uh, and we serve about 70 families. Wow. So, so serving 70 families, it's, it's people that believe enough in you to, uh, to invest some money in, in, in the things you're doing. Yeah, that, the, 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 you know, the, the, that's exactly right. The, the, they believe in us, they believe in our team, they believe in our process. And, you know, oftentimes they'll, they'll have, uh, you know, the, the larger the client, oftentimes the, the, we'll have maybe a smaller piece of their overall net worth. But we try to do things that are fun to us, that are interesting and that are profitable. Uh, for, 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 for Top Golf, I enjoy it. It's fun. I'm not a great golfer, but I enjoy it. But I feel a lot better when I'm hitting like a 30, 40 yard shot and getting points and I'm eating uh, some, some <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> having iced tea and eating some chicken wings. And I'm like, this isn't so bad, you know? So <laughs> we, we got, I tried it. And next thing you know, we, we, we own a number of them. Um, and, and Top Golf is our tenant. Um, and then, you know, we got into self storage. Nobody likes to throw anything away. When I was in, in college, it was my thesis was self storage. Uh, back then, it's a long time ago, but in the 80s, people had about nationwide, uh, each, each person would store, have about one foot of demand for storage today. It's almost 11. So we've had 1,100% growth in the last 30 some odd years for, for demand for self-storage and it only appears to be growing. And then we, we like to invest in, 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 in the securities or in, in companies that are, that are also in their own rights, transformative and future oriented as well and that would be in our in our remarkable securities and on the film side we like things that that have an impact and have a message so if we can help either market it or finance it I mean, not necessarily by ourselves but that's something we enjoy doing as well that's that sounds like such fun stuff you're, you're doing things you're passionate about that you that you're you're you're, you're really you know diving in to understand fully and uh, how cool is that, right? When you can live your life having fun and everything you're doing and, and creating value, right? Yeah. And the, it, and, the, and the impact of those films, that's got to be cool as heck. I mean, uh, it, it makes us, a difference. It makes a difference. Us, yeah. Tell us about some of those films. Uh, you know, the, the well, there's, there, and, there are those that, there, there are those that we finance, like one's called uh, Unbroken Path to Redemption. But, and it was a story of Louis Zamperini. He was, uh, he was in a World War II aircraft that went down. He floated about 80 days and uh, fought off two or three shark attacks. He ended up uh, landing on the Marshall Islands, and then he was taken as a POW. Uh, the gentleman that was over him was, was nicknamed the Bird, and the Bird was one of the most, most vicious people and was actually named one of the top 100 war criminals of uh, World War II. And he saw his strength of character, and the movie's called Unbroken, and Angelina Jolie made the first movie, uh, unbroken, and we told the story of his redemption called Unbroken Path of Redemption after he comes back home to America. And uh, I'll say that Angelina Jolie was, was super easy to work with. She let, let us keep a, a few minutes of footage from the first movie to kind of use to, to create 
uh, scope and scale of the new movie. And uh, our story p- picks up. He, he crashes. He's he's uh, he, he flows. He fights off sharks. He, he gets taken to the Marshall Island. And then he he he, he was an Olympic athlete, and he was the one. Uh, where Adolf Hitler, and they expected him to be the first one to break the four-minute mile. He didn't. Interestingly enough, on the boat over to, to Europe to, uh, for the Olympics, he gained 12 pounds because he, he hadn't had food like that, right? So he had, he had so, so, so much fun. But in the race, he did well. Uh, he ended up meeting Adolf Hitler. But the bird man is also an athlete, the uh, head of the POW camp. He recognized him and knew that if he could break his ego, his pride, break him down as a person, then he would demoralize all the, all the troops under his care. Absolutely. So he got, the, he got the entire group of POWs to put stand in a straight line and punch him in the face. Yep. And one at a time, and they didn't hit him hard, they had to do it again. And Louis was like, hit me, hit me, is that all you've got? Hit me, is that all? And it was just like all the people cycled through, and he just built a lot of bitterness and unforgiveness in his heart. And when he got back home, he became an alcoholic. And he went to a Billy Graham crusade, and he, he left in a huff, did, did, didn't want to go. And then in, in the movie, we actually got Billy Graham's grandson to play Billy Graham. So that was a lot of fun. We, we, we shot it in California. And then uh, the, on the second time, he, he became a Christian. But more than that, he repented. A lot of us are professing Christ or we're, you know, we, we, we love Christ or we have a, a, a different type of walk. But he was somebody who uh, confessed Christ, uh, repented and made his life really about forgiving and modeling forgiveness. So he goes back to Japan and finds the people who tortured him and, and forgave them. And out of that, I mean, he, he, he never reconnected with the bird. He tried several times, but it never worked. But just about everybody else he did, and about, I think it was between four and 600 churches have come out of that, of that movement. That uh, was a movement, but out of his, uh, his modeling forgiveness and encouraging people oh, incredible. in Japan. So I, so yeah, it was I saw amazing. It. I love the movie, Eric, the first one, and uh, I got to see the second one now. But, uh, you know, Louie was a friend of a good friend of mine, one of my mentors here. He's an 83 or four-year-old guy here in the Chicago area that's a great entrepreneur, very successful guy in manufacturing and distribution businesses. And, and, and I paved driveways for the guy years ago. He became one of my favorite people and my favorite mentors still today. He's my buddy. Fran Houlihan, Fran Houlihan, and Fran, and Fran uh, was friends with Louie, and, and uh, Louie would come to town, and he would stay with Fran, and, and uh, you know, right before that, that first movie came out, uh, he, you know, he was going to be in town with him, and I, I was, he goes, Gary, you got to meet my friend, you know, you're a guy who loves inspiration, you're, you're an inspiring guy, you're going to love Louie, you got to meet him, and uh, he, he came to town, he called me, and I was out of town, so I didn't get to, to, to hang out with him and meet oh, him. Oh, no way, but, yeah. Yeah, but and he, you know, he passed away some, you know, a few years later, right? But yeah. what an amazing guy this guy was. Amazing right? story, yeah, amazing story. And that's, amazing and story. I mean, think of the difference he made in the world, right? When you talk about churches that were being, that were, you know, built around oh, yeah. him, forgiveness, right? Yeah. How, how yeah. incredible, what, what an incredible gift he was to the world, and how cool is yeah. that, right? It's, it's, it's such a model because you look at like so many people I've talked to or they don't have a very relationship with their pa- parents or mom or dad or sibling or somebody in life. And somebody even asked them, hey, please forgive me, but they have a hard time doing it. But imagine being tortured physically uh, for several years and then seeking people out who are not wanting forgiveness and, and granting it anyway. Then the power of the reception of them getting that is just uh, remarkable. And they don't know how to take it because they didn't even ask for it. They don't feel they have a hard time receiving it because they don't even feel they're deserving of it. 
you know, they, yeah. some part of them wants to punish themselves for their own crimes. And oftentimes in life, that's what we do are ourselves. We, we have a, maybe we're, we're, we're punishing ourselves in a way, um, you know, so it's, it's a good model. So, so Eric, uh, you know, my, my, my wife passed away a little over a month ago now, and, and our, at our celebration of life, wow. the, the, the thing that I, uh, you know, we, we, this, we're on lockdown in Illinois, but, we, you know, we, we, we have a club up there that I was telling you about, the golf club that I want you to come in. You're going to be a national member from now on, so don't forget I'm ready, that. I'm ready. Uh, <laughs> I'm breaking 100 down, man. You may not be looking. I might, I might give him a foot wedge, but. You're gonna be happy to break 100. But so, so at, at the our, uh, at, at the uh, at the ceremony, the um, the funeral in our church, mm. you can only have like a third occupancy. So we ended up to you know, oh, 150, 150 people is the most, and so it was all family and very good close friends. Sure. And and uh, but but then I said, hey, but we've got a celebration of life at the club. It's whoever wants to come can come. It's a big building, wow. and we're gonna we're gonna anybody wants to be. So I I didn't I didn't get really I didn't get out to all, everybody. I didn't focus on inviting everybody and all that, but it was just out there. On Caring Bridge, and my and some of my closest friends knew I was scheduling that thing, and and mm-hmm. we had over 800 people came through um, with with, with wow. the COVID issues, with people being afraid of, wow. the, of, our, of wow. our Marxist our Marxist uh, governor's law rules, right? Um, yeah. Over 800 people came, and uh, and I and I didn't I didn't notify most of my, most of my friends because I if they find out they find out, but I, I didn't have the time to really organize it. But bottom line is. The message I, I, I told my friend, I thought, of what's, what's a message my wife would want people to know um, that I could give when I talk about her? Because I, I, I talked about it for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, whatever it was. And I said, here's the deal. You know, everybody, everybody there that knew Cheryl knew that she was a person that, number one, she, the most God-loving person you ever want to meet. But anybody would ever meet her knows that she, was, she would never talk, you know, ill about somebody else ever. If, if they're there in front of her, she would challenge people in the way they thought. You know, without offending them, without other people around, she would say exactly what's on her mind. But otherwise, if there are other people in the room and, and that person's not there and people are talking about somebody, she's the one that's going to stand up and say, you know what, I'm not perfect. And I sure would want people talking about me if I'm not you know, present. Is it, is it really the right thing to do, right? She would do this all the time. And, and whenever, whenever, I'd say all the time, but if it was in front of her like that, she would do it. Or, or if, if I wasn't getting off my father or brought my brother or, or a friend, an old friend, she would always really pretty much, you know, demand me to go make sure that I, that I rekindle that. If I love somebody before, I, I'll, you know, I, I need to continue to love them and, and forgive them for whatever I think they did. And so, she, you know, my, my father and I are way closer than I'd ever be if it wasn't for her, my brother and I, my, uh, you know, my sisters and I, her brothers and, and our family. Bottom line is, you know, she constantly brought people together. And she constantly brought people closer to God, right? Because she, she was wow. an example. It's <laughs> sure. an amazing, amazing example of faith that, that you just don't see every day, right? No, so, no you don't see it. So, I, so I, there's no doubt. My, so so at, that, at that ceremony, I said, hey, what, what would Cheryl want you to do? And I said, if everybody here, and there's maybe four or 500 people at the time listening, I said, hey, if everybody here could just think about a person in their life that they, that, they, that they loved at one time, maybe a family member, maybe a friend. And, and reach out to them and, and, and have the conversation with them, forgiving them for whatever it is that, that, that you weren't happy about, right? Forget about them forgiving you for whatever they think, right? Just forgive them. And, and, and Cheryl would ask all of you to think that way, right? And then, and then if all things are great and you have no issues in your, in your friendships or your family, then, then just go home and pray to God that you can get closer to God because she would ask you to do that. You know, how, how, much, how can you get closer to your faith, whatever your faith is? And so, those, you know, just, just one of those two things, do it, do it tonight when you, when you go home or the next day or two. 
And, and I got a lot, tons of texts back in the, over the next text emails and phone calls over the next couple of days that, my, you know, friends of ours, hey, guess what? I reached out to my brother. I hadn't talked to him for years. And I had a great conversation. Hey, you know what? I, I haven't gone to church in years. I'm, I'm, I'm going to start going again because I, I, I love my community, my church. I just haven't th thought I had time. So all these conversations. But again, one person can make a huge difference in, in this world if, if they – uh, if they're if they're people that can inspire through their their own actions, yeah, sure, absolutely. And, you know, and, and my wife, in her own way, was very philanthropic. Did amazing things for the community. The the, the newspaper that I'm not friend, friendly with because I'm a conservative uh, wanted to write an article about her because they knew who she was, and they wrote a beautiful article about her. And I and I was just I couldn't believe how 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 nice it was in the short time they interviewed me and a few people, but they mm. knew her also. And and so so all these things matter because. She made a huge difference in the world, and 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 Louis, man, think of think of the, the difference he made in the world with, with the life oh, yeah. he took. And so when we think about you yeah. know you and I and people like like us that have had some nice success mm -hmm. in our lives and we got some good stuff going on, right? How can we lead our lives in the future to make a difference in the world? And and you're doing okay. that when you're when you're when you're right. supporting stuff like these movies that you know are, are are stories of great messages. When you're when you're supporting these businesses that you know have the great the right core values and are creating opportunity, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. How how yeah. fun is it, right? It's so much fun. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. So, so I want to hear about go back to your go back to your upbringing. What what made the, you know Eric who he is? And tell me about you know how you grew up and and uh, you know you you probably grew up with a boatload of money. Somebody just said, hey, little Eric, here's here's. <laughs> Here's a few million dollars. Get started on your way, right? I'm sure that. Yeah, I did get the Donald Trump loan. What was that? A small family loan for was it 65 million? I think it was. No, no, no. <laughs> no. So, so for me, I mean, I've, I've done some real estate. So, it's an, kind of analogy is, it seems like for, for me, I started by digging a hole. You know, if you build a building, you dig a hole to start. Yeah. To start it with, and you're kind of going the wrong direction. That's kind of how life started because it, you know, you may tell I still have a little bit of a stutter. But at age five, I was in a car wreck and I lost the ability to speak for a couple of days. And it was very traumatic for me. So I would end up, uh, it took me a couple of days to tell my, the teacher my name. And I don't know what it is about people who stutter, but it's always like your name's like the hardest thing to say. Like Eric Weir was like, eh, 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 woo, woo, woo. it was horrible. But they just, I went to speech therapy and at age five, they said, you know, you need to sell lemonade. Get a lemonade stand, put it in front of your house, and that would be the way to go. So my parents were pretty excited about that. So we set a lemonade stand up, and I'm like, I stutter. So I'm on a sign. So I made a sign that had 50 cents, and, and you know, I had it up there. had the, everything ready to go with lemonade to sell and had change so I could make change for a dollar. And I'm, I'm sitting there, and people go, almost everybody, I don't know why it is you've got a sign. I was hoping just for direct commerce. Here's 50 cents. I pour the lemonade, done deal. They always had to ask me, hey, how much is it? Or how'd you make it? And I, how much is it? I'm like, really? Point. <laughs> I'm like, F's are hard, man. They're hard. I'm like, <laughs> 50 cents. Look at how'd you make it? I'm like, you're thinking to myself, really? You know, really? You're asking me how I made it? You know? I'm like, you know, water? <laughs> powder you know so, but I, what I found out is man stuttering was awful at school but I never got 50 cents when people would like toss a five at me I'm like five bucks this is awesome you know, I'm taking this show on the road you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I go inside my parents are like man how'd you do it I'm like I had $80 man first M5 is 1972 made 80 bucks cash my dad's like 
wow, I, th- I think you did better than I did today. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, so uh, the next day they go out. And I, mean, I got home, I'm so jacked up, right? So I go out the next day and I set up another lemonade stand. Only this time I didn't realize about the plastic cups that mom had. I used our glassware, you know, you know oh. so I'm using the glassware, right? So, uh, you know, my customers, they were really, I guess they're impressed with the upgrade, you know? <laughs> but they, uh, they didn't give the glasses back, so they just drove off with them, right? So we get home, my parents are setting up the kitchen table, and they're like, hey, you know, uh, we're so happy for your big sales today. Where, where are all the glasses? And I said, <laughs> I sold them all. <laughs> <laughs> so I learned about cost of goods sold that, that day, you know, because uh, so wait, wait, bucks, so, so, wait, uh, so you had eighty, so you, you had eighty dollars in sales the next day, but you had like uh, ninety dollars in cost. Yeah, I had some cost of sales I didn't really expect. Yeah, because you know my parents weren't killing it in business, so. Uh, 80 bucks, so that was, that was a fat target after selling all their, uh, all their glassware. <laughs> so that's kind of how I got started, right? And then it went from like, I mean, you couldn't give me a Christmas present. I wouldn't sell it at school. So uh, pretty much, pretty much <laughs> they had candy, anything. And uh, as I grew up, I got started cutting grass. Then I realized I had a lawn allergy. So I uh, kept doing it because I paid well. I charged 15 bucks for grass cutting. And I found neighborhood kids that, I could get them to cut it for five. And it was kind of fun because their parents were like, I'm sure glad Johnny's getting industrious. I mean, cutting grass for this other kid, making five bucks too. And I said, you know, you just got to use your own lawnmower and gas, but I'm pretty sure I'd get you a gig at five bucks. So I'd spend my days <laughs> going around getting neighborhoods, you know, to sign up and I recruit kids to, uh, to, uh, to cut, to cut the <laughs> cut grass for me. So you're, a, so, you're a general, so you're a general contractor, a neighborhood general contractor at what, how old? Yeah, yeah that's what I did was, was a neighborhood general contractor, but I think the labor laws I was violating, I had younger kids, and you know, if they didn't do the work, I was pretty aggressive, you know, I'm like, good, good, good job, reputation mattered, I knew that. Wait, 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 wait. So how, old, how old were you then as a general? I was like 11, 12. I started with like a real mower, and it was kind of hard to push it, you know. So I ended up, you know, using my dad's mower and getting other kids to use their dad's mowers. And, and then I ended up hooking up with a home builder who had subdivisions. So then I would like cut their lawns, their model homes for a while. What did your workers' compensation insurance look like back then? Oh, man, it was, it was, a, it was a very skinny policy. Yeah, and, <laughs> and complaint was, was met with, uh, with, with, with amazement. I was pretty surprised by complaining. There was a lot of that, too. So uh, <laughs> I had a fair amount of turnover in my, in my ranks. I hear you. <laughs> so then move on to buying and selling cars. Bought my first car when I was 13. And, couldn't drive it, but, you know, my brother knew how to fix them, so I'd front the money, and he'd help me with the work, and we'd split it. And then by 16, we're going to auto auctions, buying several cars at a time, and uh, d- did that. I think, I don't know how many cars I've, I've owned. And 18, I got my real estate license. Uh, that same year, I earned my first black belt. And uh, with a Chuck Norris super system, he said mentor. So one of my mentors was Chuck Norris. He was my uh, – he liked yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. He's, he was awesome. and. Um, I'm not like super tight with him, but he would come down every, you know, a couple times a year. And it was like a franchise where my instructor had like, you know, his agreement. So he would come down and sit on black belt tests and you would just listen for pearls of wisdom. And he had something called code of ethics, which I know I appreciate the older I get, but he would do things like, you know, you know, uh, be as enthusiastic about the success of others as you are about your own, mm-hmm. you know, and you go, wow. Okay. And, you know, if you have, you have nothing good to say about somebody, don't say anything. Oh, interesting. 
and uh, you know, n- no success out- outside the home will compensate for failure inside the home. I'm like, oh, wow. And these are all codes of ethics that he had. Ten, we would memorize them. And I was like, these are, these are pretty solid. And then, uh, you know, learning character things, you know, at, at, you know, tests where we have people who were going for a black belt. One example really sticks in my mind is the guy was, you know, pretty good, but on the edge, wasn't sure if he'd make it or not. And the, uh, they, they have you know, multiple schools come together. It's kind of a big deal when you come to town. So they would say, well, this, this guy's hard, worked hard. He didn't have a great test, but he's, uh, if you, if you fail him, he's going to quit. Oh, okay. Well, they were failing him. And uh, he said, because you need to learn to handle failure. And that was something they really tried to work on is if you fail, uh, failure is never fatal unless it's final. You know, oh, so, yeah. so I don't, love it. don't quit. Failure's and that, that was the kind of things that growing up and learning respect and yes or no, sir, and bowing and all that was good. And, and you know, then I got my real estate license just for childhood early stuff. And uh, when I was 18, um, and then I syndicated my first shopping center, I think 18 or 19 years old where, and again, it was stuttering. So I, uh, go door to door, these homes that were 50 grand each. And I'm like, you know, if, 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 if I could sell your home for 75, would you take it? And they're like, where do I sign? You know, so that was pretty easy to get that done. And then I'd help partner with the developer who'd get stuff rezoned and he would, you know, get like a shopping center or something to come in and. And I'd take like a commission on it. I didn't have any capital at that time. And uh, that's kind of what I did to get started before I went to college and kind of had karate studios and sold real estate through college. Man, that's an unbelievable uh, entrepreneurial history before you go to college. That's not common, dude. And it was, it was, it was fun. It was fun. Along the way, I learned a lot of lessons at Butts. My first stock was Handy City. Have you heard of that? No, no, <laughs> just because it went to zero. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in my town was Home Depot, totally put them under. So I ended up buying Home Depot and uh, Walmart Coke stocks that lived in Atlanta at the time. And uh, the crash that happened, one of the crashes, I sold everything. I didn't have a ton of money in it, but I had some money in those three stocks. And then I realized also like investing, like it's, it's kind of like uh uh, you know, it's, it, it teaches you a lot of lessons about patience as well, because when I sold during the sell-off, I mean, those happened to be three of the greatest American companies that I owned in the 80s, and I sold it to pay off a car, and that today, if that car would be over a $10 million car. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care how selective you are in your uh, antique collection, it's a uh, fall short of that, so... Uh, yeah. So that'd be like that'd be like an original Cobra with about two miles on it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. A million dollar car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So if you if you stuck with the car auction business, a, a good a friend of mine is uh, is is uh, Dana Meekum. If you follow the Meekum auto auctions. Oh wow! How about that? Yeah, I've you, heard uh, of them. Yeah, I've seen them. I've seen them. Yeah. If you ever want to meet Dana, come. We got to come to an event with us. Uh, but he's a spectacular guy. whose stories are incredible. He'll be a ditch digger story too. We just haven't got him on yet but amazing guy fun as can be and just a down-to-earth guy so uh but but again here there's a guy that started kind of like you did as a young kid he was doing everything hustling for money his dad had a car lot a used car lot he started buying cars and, and and refurbishing them and he really liked muscle cars and 
started it. Yeah, so it's his story. The start is kind of like yours, actually. It's similar. You can learn a lot by buying and selling cars, I tell you that. I sold a car to a convict one time, ex-con, and <laughs> he, he uh, realized that uh, he was expecting a tire warranty like a year and a half later. And I actually thought about starting a warranty program for tires after that. <laughs> so, uh, oh, yeah, that's wear and tear, normal wear and tear. He goes, oh, okay, okay. And I'm like, Whew, yeah, that was close. <laughs> I told my brother, we got to stick to real estate. This is kind of scary. <laughs> so, 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 so you went to college then. Uh, yeah. Tell us, tell us about your 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 undergrad. Your four years in college there, and what to yeah. learn there, and what came of yeah, that. Was, yeah, I mean, I was there. At, I mean, I probably uh, I was working. You know, doing the had some karate studios that I set up at my daycares because that was easy. You had a captive audience come in and teach for a little while. And if one kid, if you get one kid to buy a karate uniform, you're getting 30 of them in there. So, so that was, that was fantastic teaching kids martial arts and getting to break boards, at, you know, five and six and watching the mother's faces. Oh no, he's going to break his little hand. But you know, it's it amazing what you can do, you know, it's like, nah, you know, you got to think through the board, you know, don't, don't stop at the board. You know, all these lessons about, you know, think the other side, you know, so I believe you can do it. It was, it was, it was good. It was good and lots of fun. And then I did real estate also. And around uh, 89 or so I was doing okay in real estate, made a fair amount of, of capital. And then uh, in real estate went in the tank, you know, so really badly. And I, then I, got out of, well, I was getting out of college. Um, and I was, you know, I liked college, but I was, you know, I really liked working too, but I felt like it was just something I needed to get done, but I enjoyed it. And then, then I went after college and took, took a job at Merrill Lynch in Atlanta in the financial services. And as back then, they were more like stockbrokers. I remember my first day, my manager tosses me a uh, white pages after training goes, here's the hot leads. And I'm like, really? I mean, this is how we're going to roll. And I thought I would do that for a few years and go back into real estate because most of my buyers of the shopping center sites were airline pilots. And a lot of them were in consolidation. Their capital went away. So uh, I started calling just to be different in the W's. And W's are hard to say for me anyway. So I would call people and ask like an earned investment business. I'm like, hey, it's, it, 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 we're, we're, my own name's hard, right? We're, can, how can I earn your investment business? And usually I got hung up on, you know, and then sometimes people would say, is this a joke? Like, what, 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 what do you, who is a stuttering stockbroker? I mean, give me a break. <laughs> That's kind of how it went. That was, I mean, I was, I started making like six, seven hundred dials a day, which was like huge because I've just, I had, had such poor conversions. Well, I'm like, I can't take this. My voice is going, started, started going door to door, like in office parks. And that's where the stuttering really kicked in because uh, it was hot and I was stuttered. So they're like, I'm like, ha ha, They're like, hey, dude, come inside. It's hot. You know, it's like something you know. <laughs> 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 I opened up like 600 accounts in the next few years. And I was like one of the top account openers in the country. And I'm like, wow. this stuttering thing, you know, it's a bummer, man, but it's, it's paying off, right? So that it helped <laughs> in the financial services. And then I'm like, I was, wasn't a bad stock picker because I kept, you know, even though I sold my Home Depot and Walmart in a crash and Coke, I would buy it for all my new clients. So in the, I started in 89. So I bought Coke, Home Depot, Walmart, and there was a new biotech called Amgen. 
And then there was a tech company called Cisco that I would buy for much all the portfolios. And they, they, I mean, I didn't know how good of a growth story they would be, but it ended up giving me pretty good performance during that period of time. And then I left in 94 to go work uh, in San Francisco. A lot of, I was kind of impressed with technology and the wealth being created in Silicon Valley. So I, um, I left uh, to move to San Francisco. And then I learned something else that, hey, I'm not, I'm not the, maybe the best reader because uh, I had a non-compete clause, which uh, they took more seriously than I had hoped. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I mean, you guys were – dude, I was 22 when I signed that thing. You can't hold me accountable for that. I would have signed anything. I needed oh, yes, we, oh, yes, we can. <laughs> yeah, well, you're an Asian majority, brother. You're, Huh, how about, how about that's, a, that's a bad fact. That's, that's a bad fact. You know, so, <laughs> so I can't call him for a year? Is that what you're saying? Huh, wow, okay. So I had to start over, and with my wonderful verbal skills, I, uh, <laughs> I knew I went straight to cold calling. So I went to the Bank of America Tower, which is across from my building, beautiful tall building in San Francisco, and there's a restaurant on top, like the Bankers Club or something. And I, you know, I just started going in, in and out of odd floors, you know, like it's go to floor 17, down to 13, up to 19. And, and this to stay ahead of security because they would just, they were, they were hunting me. You know, it was like a hunt, you know, because I was in there. It's a non-solicitation building and uh, invariably I get caught each day, but I try to slip <laughs> in. And after a while they start recognizing me when I'm coming in, you know, they're like, hey, hey, hey you know, yeah. and ultimately I become like a member of the bankers club. And I would tease them. I'm like, I'm not marketing today. I'm just going to eat. Because <laughs> you know? uh, I ended up opening a fair number of accounts and it worked out. And pretty much in one year in uh, San Francisco, between doing that and calling and meeting tech companies, I replaced uh, my entire business that it took me, you know, four or five years to build in Atlanta. So it, it, went, it went well. And then I started to, to partner with, with, you know, with other people to try to move more quickly. Amazing. That's awesome. And that, okay, so this is in uh, San Francisco is in uh, in the nineties, you're saying? What, what the nineties, the ninety-four, ninety-eight. Time okay. Frame. Where were you at in uh, two thousand then and all that stuff happened? Yeah, so uh, so I ended up leaving my company after I, I partnered with a with a with a with a software banker would call on software companies to try to do investment investment banking with them. And uh, in that period of time, and we took a number of companies, or they did public. I'd hope to manage people's money uh, was I was hoping to do. Um, and then deal, the my, my company I was with was was bought by another larger company. The person who was my, my my banker friend or investment banker then went to go work at a at a big software company. And now they're the worldwide CEO of one of the top software companies in the world. And then I uh, opened my own investment company in 1999. And it was, it was weird capital management originally. And it was, uh, we started a hedge fund, had a really good performance our first year up, uh, up triple digits. And, uh, um, and that was, you know, just from lots of tech investing. And then started to do physical real estate on my own account, you know, like a residential multifamily sort of things. And then as deals got bigger than I could do on my own, then I would do, you know, hey, Ned or Billy or whoever's a friend of mine, you want to come in on with me? And then it just, you know, one thing led to another. And over the, over the next 20 years, it became a larger part of the business. And I still enjoy you know, investing in healthcare technology. Today, it's cloud technology, and you know, uh, that, I, that I enjoy or e-commerce or, you know, anything that's a d- d- disruptor. You know, the, the move to 5G today is, is something I find of a lot of interest in, in, in cryptocurrencies. 
Uh, so how, how do you uh, invest in change? And it's the same thing in real estate. We look for, you know, change in demands, change in housing, you know, if it's senior housing today, or is it, uh, you know, where's, where's the industry moving? And if you follow the baby boomers or, you know, the, the, you know, that cycle or Gen X or Gen Y or Gen Z, and you kind of see their patterns of consumption and, and, and demands that each, each group has that's unique to themselves. And if you determine the spending power and desire of that particular uh, group and then can anticipate the benefactors of their desires and how they spend their money, um, you can oftentimes have a good result. Absolutely. That's, that's pretty, that's wild. So right now it's uh, it's tech, it's real estate, um, you know, you're, you're, what, the stuff you do today. What, 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 where were you at? Where you at in 2000? When you, when you're, you know, 2000 and all that stuff was going on, and you had some, you had the tech, you had that tech bubble and all that kind of stuff. Oh, where yeah. were you invested, and what happened with you then? Well, I was mostly under my desk uh, during that period of time. <laughs> I, I learned a new word, uh, 2001, uh, diversification. So the word, the, the word of like two, of 1999. The reason I had such great numbers is, you know, I invested in, in very speculative companies that were growing rapidly. And they, they did super well. And then they did roll well first part of 2000. And then things kind of begin to come unwound. And even, you know, good companies that are today of Intel's of the day or Microsoft's, I mean, they were damaged. The NASDAQ lost almost 85, 88% of its value uh, in a very short period of time. So diversification, if you're, you know, it really needed to be uh, not just different companies in different sectors, but different asset classes. Because if the sure. stock market goes down, it goes down you know, pretty much for everybody, some worse than others. And then the bonds or if it's physical real estate or whatever. So for me, it was a period where it was very, very challenging. We had a good, we had a good, um, a good growth spurt in the, in 1999, but there was a whole lot of income being generated in the business, you know, for, for 2000, 2001. So, uh, but it was a, it was a good, a good, a good time, a good time to, to, uh, to learn, to, to, to look for opportunities and to, to try to be in a position for, for, for the next move up. So, two thousand, so 2001 happened, uh, you know, what happened here with everything you were doing? And then, uh, then what happened in the stretch from 2001 to 2008, 2007, eight, when things were really good again, or, you know, built up oh, to yeah. that. In 2008, well, I had things tight, like we're talking about like payroll before somebody before. And I remember, you know, I was pretty good at trading stock options in my own account. And I remember like, we're going to be a little short on payroll. I think maybe I could, uh, and I think this Qualcomm's looking pretty good here and they're reporting earnings. So let's put some capital there and boom, it worked out a few times and we're able to, Hey, <laughs> we got payroll. You know, So, so I'd have that. It was just me and my brother and, you know, a couple of people. And I'm like, you know, it's a little tight right now. So we, we, we've done that. You know, I've had that happen before where you have the challenges with payroll or challenges with, you know, things that come up with projects or real estate. We ended up, you know, that, it was mostly marketable securities that gave us trouble in, in that period of time, 2000, 2001, two period of time, where the markets you know, corrected almost, you know, as great as they did just about, not, not as much as the Great Depression, but very close, very, very significant. And changing of interest rates. And then the, then I ended up getting into, into a multifamily deal. And the first one uh, I ended up get, getting into, uh, it was a phenomenal appraised, really high, way more than was actually uh, than our investment was. And then there were some changes with lending that happened as part of that recession that triggered in 2007 to eight to nine period where banks quit lending. And you know, we had some, some, some complicating factors, big bank, bought little bank, and then big bank doesn't want a loan on little banks deals. And 
So it was, it was, it was complicated. And during that period of time, you have a, an asset that's not finished. And then its value uh, is eroding very quickly because of the fall of the real estate market. And then the sure. ability uh, for, to, to, for individuals to obtain financing in that type of market made it, made it challenging. So the first deal I did around the gates was, was a loser. You know, so it ended up, uh, then I also learned something else about agreements is, is banks also take what you sign seriously. And I'm like, I <laughs> this deal. I mean, you, you give me 20% bonus ownership for no money. All I got to do is guarantee the loan. I'm like, yeah, that's it, man. I'm like, <laughs> where do I sign? <laughs> I literally did. I'm like, this, is, this is easy money, man. It's a piece of cake. And it yeah. wasn't until it wasn't. You, you know, so you, you ended up learning about uh, how banks, how seriously they take those agreements, you know, but we went in and talked to them and me and a partner and I, who, you know, you know, three, three or four of us went into it. We're just buddies. It wasn't like, you know, clients or anything like that. Just you know, four guys that know each other. We go on and do it. And one guy's not in very good shape. Another guy's in okay shape. I'm, I'm in a little better than him. And the one guy's in really good shape. So we ended up kind of cutting the deal with the bank. So uh, it ended up working out. Everybody got paid back. But it was, what year was that? It was a challenging time. Uh, we, it was two, I think it was 2010 when it was all over. But it was through the 2008, 2009, and early 10, where we had a multifamily unit, attached housing in California that just you couldn't get financing. So we were able to, 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 to get out of it, pay, pay the bank back. Uh, but but it, was a, it was a challenge. Yeah, it was a challenging time. But you learn things. You threw. They come out the other side. And you're like, the next time I build something, I'm going to have a tenant because <laughs> 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 they pay rent. And that's better than building something hoping somebody will buy it. You kind of, you kind of like you. You learn to pivot, right? So, so you know, if you make the same mistake. You make a mistake once, you know, it's kind of okay. You want, you want to make a different one next time. So, you know, so we are trying to do what you can do. So it, it ended up being a, a blessing, a, a very expensive education, but it ended up, you know, creating a, a model to analyze risk that, uh, you know, you take very seriously and then you, you learn to invest and, you know, kind of, we don't, I guess I always say now I begin with the end in sight or begin with my exit in sight because I don't go into a, into something that I don't have an idea of how I'm getting out of it or even contractually, you know, the, the other side, you know, it's still, you're still risking everything that you do, but, but that mitigates a lot of it. Yeah. The lesson, the lessons you learn, I mean, are amazing, right? Through the, through these uh, highs and lows, uh, you mm. know, it, it's easy to think, you know, it all when things are going great, right? And, and you got to, mm. this is a booming market and you think you're pretty smart. And then all of a sudden, you know, 2008 happens, right? You know, oh yeah, it changes your world, and 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 not, and then then you say, okay, how am I how am I going to be best served in the future to to position myself for another 2008? And and then of course, you know, in the, in the last uh, year, you know, year we've seen a lot of craziness, right? And oh hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, by by our 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 losses in the past and our our lessons of the past, we're positioned a little bit better to where you're not you know not crushed so bad, right? And, right. Uh, so let's hear about that from 2010 on. Now, what'd you learn? Where where did you go? You know, I know you're in a lot of stuff. What you what did you get into since then that that uh, you know you have that you feel your diversity is in, in business? Yeah, yeah. Solid. You know, a lot of the things I got into really really have have come out of like relate relationships and just getting to know people and doing different things. You know, and for for me it was um um 
you know, on, on film was probably the most unusual thing that I did not expect to get into. And I, uh, one of my, I learned a lot about film on, on this, on this particular uh, trip, but I went to with a friend who was making a film uh, in the Amazon of all places. And it was on pantheism versus creationism. And uh, those are big words. You know what they meant, but basically multi-gods and, you know, the God, you know, and the Judeo-Christian God of creation. So he went on, uh, on that. And hey, wait, what, what's, what was that movie called again? It's called Into the Amazon. End and, of the Amazon. Uh, yeah. So, 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 so I into the Amazon. And I'm, I'm, I'm in it. You see me in it, my son in it. It was basically a, 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 a number of fathers and their sons in the journey with a, with a, with a, uh, with a creation scientist, a, a medical doctor, and a missionary. And we kind of go, go in. We're on these, uh, call them tika tikas, which are basically a, uh, a tree that's hollowed out with like a, it looks like a weed whacker for an engine on it. Right? And you're cruising down the Amazon. And then we rented a rubber boat with a, a wheel on it, like a, uh, I forget those, a paddle boat effectively. And uh, <clears throat> went down the Amazon for, I guess, eight or nine days. And uh, we, we spent the night with the Agaruna people, which I understand were the ones who uh, killed Jim Elliott, the missionary. Uh, we also you know, did some night hiking and the bat caves and things. A lot of interesting father-son kind of things. We even looked at like the, the forest and, you know, this a fire, how long it takes to, re, to rebuild and, and, you know, grow back and, and so the, 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 in the, in the ecosystem. But we, we, we captured it all into a documentary. And I learned a lot of things about filmmakers. A, they, they, they have no idea of budget. So, so I agreed to finance it. So, so I ended up putting a little more than I thought. But B, I, I really saw the impact of film. And even though this was a small film, you know, I think it grossed a million five. And it was made for like 150,000. Um, you know, it, it was, it had an impact and reached an audience that was looking for homeschool curriculum. You know, what's a, let's go through the Amazon with a boy and his dad or, a, or a, a true scientist. This is this tree. This is this leaves. This is the, you know, the flora fauna, you know, here, you know, here's how the ecosystem works. And it's very simplistic, but a little workbook was put around it and it was kind of interesting. And then in New Year's Eve that night, I always set goals every year. And it was like, I, I want to make an impact for the kingdom of Christ and the written word, spoken word, um, and in film as a financier and, a, a, and as, a, as a participant. And I really didn't know what that, what that meant uh, at the time. I didn't know any book writer, any authors. I didn't know filmmakers, and I didn't know anybody. Well, you know, fast forward a couple of years, and I ended up getting, meeting you know, some of the larger folks in, that, in the industry and recognizing that there were some, you know, room for improvement and efficiencies in the faith-based area of how they finance movies and, and distribute. So they ended up buying into a business uh, that, 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 that did that. And uh, over time, we've, we've, we've marketed or advertised or, or um, invested in, a, you know, geez, probably 50 or 60 different, different films, more on the marketing side than the investment side, probably a fraction of that on the investment side. But it, it was fun. It was fun to see the impact. It was fun to see uh, lives changed and have, have people uh, well, s- s- see a movie on forgiveness or a movie on, you know, about you know, children or about family or, or about commitment and how it begins to, to impact them. And sometimes like a blind side, which I was not affiliated with at all, but a blind side is a good example of a nice story. It wasn't really heavy on on a message as much as like, you know, heavy on love and compassion and understanding. And I yeah. think, you know, you know, those movies, you know, I've mentioned blindside and just about everybody's moved by it or, 
or, oh, wow, I saw that. And, it, you know, it, and it's just impactful. There's something about, you know, having someone's uninterrupted attention for an hour and a half that you really don't get elsewhere um, yeah. in, in any other venue that I'm aware of. What's, what's another movie that, you, that you, you're, you're happy you're a part of that you liked a lot? Well, uh, I, this would be would help to to, to market would, would be War Room um, by the Kendricks. Um, you know, uh, 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 Unbroken. Been a Wait, you said you said War Room. Yeah, War Room, Unbroken, Ninety Minutes in Heaven, uh, Soul Surfer. You uh, said you said the Kendricks were involved in that one out of uh, Arizona. They're 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 in Georgia. Yeah, the the. The, 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 the Kendricks are, and then out of Arizona, there, there's another group that did movies like Samson and and uh, other movies like that. And f- f- fantastic, but it's it's a, it's a really it's a, it's a friendly environment where the people are in, in the faith and, and, and family uh, area. Okay. And it's something that you're seeing the uh, you know it's, it's interesting. If you saw uh, if you heard like a first the like a Steve Green who was one of the early on uh, Christian musicians you know, who had, was talented, great voice, but he would record, his recordings didn't sound, you know, like you were listening to something that was recorded at RCA, you know. And, uh-huh. and I would say the, the, the faith-based uh, movies of 20 years ago, of 10 years ago, were ones where, you know, people from churches would go see, and they almost felt obliged to go because the acting was terrible. You know, the, <laughs> the, uh, the, 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 the video, the camera angles, the transitions were awkward, you know, but the message was solid. Was that, was that, most, was that most there? Cause it's the, 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 uh, the fundraising, uh, wasn't that solid. I mean, they, they just didn't fundraise well enough. Is that why? I would say mostly fundraising. And then there was also kind of like an indie attitude, but indie, I mean, independent, where you weren't really privy or had agreements or you weren't a SAG member or you weren't these sort of things. So you weren't really using professional light crews, professional editors, professional film. And then the cost of the equipment was so expensive where today you can shoot something with an iPhone and edit it on your iMac on your Mac and have a product that you, you couldn't have made 10 years ago without very, very expensive equipment. There you go. So I think it's a, I think it's a combination of a lot of things coming together. You can lay tracks down. So and it's, it's, I think, in the, in the faith and family genre, uh, and not that it's not this in other areas, too, but it certainly seems to be, you know, people wanting to help each other improve the craft, or you help me on my movie, I'll help you on yours. But you've seen the quality of the films increase substantially. The budgets have increased, too, from, you know, two, three, four, five hundred thousand to several million. But if you put that in comparison to the average Hollywood budget, it's, it's still very, very small. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Uh, so, so tell us about some of, some of the other stuff you've, that in the last ten years that you that you've found has uh, been, been a lot of fun to be part of, and, and that's uh, that's uh, helped helped you uh, you know solve more more problems and and uh, you know you know gotten where we are today. Well, more fun is like you know meeting with uh, you know we're we're involved with a with, with a company that, that, that that's rapidly growing, and they, we wanted to be a financial alternative to them. And went to them to talk and and to 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 become that alternative and asked to to be that alternative and they asked me, well, how much money do you have reserved to to help us expand? And I'm like, zero. <laughs> we haven't started yet. Well, you what makes you think you can do this? And I'm like, we guys have a great concept. You have a a, a a nice brand. I think if we had the ability to market that, we could do quite well. 
and I think it was just, you know, hitting it off with some people and being just frank that I think we can pull this off. We've I've done this before in a different industry, not in this industry, but I think if, I think we can figure a way to work, work together. And we ended up, you know, telling a good story and what we did it. So, um, you know, the, 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 that led to us having multiple locations for this group. And it's been a, a very good relationship for, with, with folks. So with this what, real what, estate. What company is that? That's Top Golf. Yeah. Top golf, what a great, great concept. I yeah, love I mean, that. They're brilliant place. guys, super smart concept. And it's not just us, there are other people who, who they've, they've had as partners to, to do things and as they expand. But, but we, were, we were thrilled to be with our other partners. We're, we're, we're thrilled to be, be, be one, of the, one of the choices. And, and now we're seeking to do this, the same thing in Europe and we're, we're getting our first one in Germany. So that's kind of fun to do, um, you know, begin building uh, a, a Top Golf in Oberhaus in Germany. Uh, we broke ground a few weeks ago, and um, it's going to be next to the uh, called the Central Mall, which is the busiest mall, as I understand it, in, in Europe. Um, and it's uh, 16 million visitors a year, and we're building a top golf adjacent to, to that property. And now that we're doing that, and we've we've reached a, you know, a, we, we've we've begun due diligence on uh, other sites in, in Europe, other parts of Europe, and Italy, and Switzerland, and uh, other parts of, of Germany. That's cool. I mean, because golf's not quite as popular in those areas, is it? Is this in America and Scotland and all that kind of stuff, or what? Yeah, it's popular, but not as popular as here. I would say it's most popular in Korea. It would probably be a, you know, probably the single most popular place. Well, the, but the nice, thing about the, nice thing about golf is you, it, it's a, it, when you talk about top golf, anybody can do it. It's not like it's not like you got to be a great golfer to go play top golf. It's a cool. Yeah, it's actually fun to stuff. take your friend who's the worst because you can watch him miss and, and uh, almost fall onto the netting. It's kind of a it's terrible, but it's hilarious. And you're like they enjoy it. You enjoy it, like, you know, you know. But it's it's fun. So it's it's just a great concept, and it's I think what they do it's just so brilliantly is that even they're kind of like COVID nineteen. It's kind of a natural. COVID-19 with the hitting bays and the sofas and the chairs and beverage and food and you know, separation between the, the stations. So it's, it's really, a, it's fun and the food is good. The service is friendly. Uh, it's, it's, it's fantastic. And you see other people you know, who have done great through the pandemic, like the Chick-fil-A's of the world who are doing extremely well with drive-throughs and they're always are, are friendly and service and they even close on Sundays and yet they outsell the competition between two and, and three to one. Yeah, yeah. No, and again, the concept of, of top golf, it's, it, you know, it never was a, a game you could play two feet away from each other. Could, could be dangerous, right? Uh, so it's already it's already in a posi- position where you needed that that social distancing, or and that at that yeah. point, uh, you know, uh, safe distancing, so you don't get hit in the head with a club, right? So it's yeah. automatically it's perfect. So, it's, it's, so they're doing pretty well overall. There's a beautiful one I, I can I can almost see from my office right here in Schaumburg, Illinois, that was built I think a year ago. Oh, yeah, it's an amazing one. It's awesome. They, I mean, it's the latest latest and greatest for top golf. I think uh, I don't know if Robbie's been there yet, but I, I was there when it first opened. It's awesome. Yeah, it, it, they're they're fantastic. I, I, I went to my first one maybe four years ago. And I thought, man, I would love to own one of these. And then I just, like so many other things, I just forgot about it. And then I ended up, you know, having an opportunity to, to come in and participate and invest in one. And I'm like, well, this is, this is kind of neat. Let's do, let's do more of this. And I think in the U.S. we have, we have five locations now that we're, uh, are, are involved in. But it's, a, it's, it's such a great concept. And uh, the, the people, you know, again, the people are friendly. The concept's fantastic. The food, the music, everything they do is very, is very, very thoughtful. But I think their, their, their mission is kind of bringing family and friends together and giving them a chance to interact. Because again, 
that's something you'll spend an hour, two hours together and, you know, having a meal that's interactive. And uh, I've been there with, with mostly non-golfers. I've been there with, you know, my seven-year-old and they happened to have a dinosaur there that day, which is a big hit. I don't even know if I've never seen one since, but the timing was fantastic. Uh, but he, he's a big fan of the dinosaurs too. So it was, it was a good hit, but, uh, but I've been there people in their eighties and they're, you know, way down to seven and, you know, I took my mom there who's eight, 82 and she, you know, she hit me and she's not, a, I don't think she's ever held a golf club, but you know, it, it you hit a few out there, 15 to 17 yards and she get like five points on the nearest basket. And it was like, you know, it was like she, she, she won the all-star games, you know? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's the, cool, the, cool, the cool thing is every, everybody can win. Everybody can score. Everybody can, you know, have, yeah. have some success. Right. And it keeps yeah. them coming back. Was, it, was, it was the only embarrassing time I had there. I took one of my friends who, who was an Olympic athlete and, um, you know, he's also a big smack talker and we were smack talking each other and, and he, he, he pounded me and he said like, yeah, next time I'm going to use my, my, my left arm. I don't even know. You probably still beat me with that too, but it was, yeah, it's, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> fun. So, uh, so, so when you look at these concepts, what, what's what's another example of something you're involved in that you're excited about? That's, that's uh, got a lot of opportunity that, that you, you guys have exposed. Yeah, I mean, it's everything from I mean, film. We love to tell stories, uh, different movies that we're involved in are, are things that are, whether it's, you know, about St. Patrick and, and Christianum in Europe and what happened there and trying to, to my knowledge, there's not been a movie made about St. Patrick. There, there may have been, but I, I haven't seen it. Um, and we have one we're excited about with that, to, to movies about, you know, political figures and, you know, and, now there's with the you know filming was shut down for a fair, fair, fair length of time and there's a, a lot of demand for content and so I think it's an excellent time to, to look at investing and in, 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 you know creating some, some some productive and helpful and educational content uh, encouraging content uh, that's something we're excited about another thing you know completely completely different than 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 than, uh, the, the, than that is to think about like the about distribution how do you do on demand how do you respond to COVID-19? How do you uh, maybe go direct to Netflix instead of trying to have a theatrical release? So I mean, those are, are fun things to think about and uh, to, as you move ahead. And other industries are involved in everything from, you know, uh, uh, self-storage, which is something that's uh, very boring for a lot of people, but it's a, it's a lot of fun to, to look at. It's interesting in that if you look at a, at a, at a B-rated apartment, maybe a two or three-story apartment, not like a high rise or ultra high end, but a B rated. And if you go within one to three miles of that site, um, you can typically get rent on the per square foot about, about the same for the self storage you do for the apartment. Folks are saying, well, I have a thousand foot apartment. It costs me a thousand dollars a month. I understand that I have a 100 square foot storage facility and it costs me a hundred a month. I, I understand that. So it's basically a way to have a, a cash flow that's similar to an apartment building with a, with a cost structure that's very different. Sure. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I got involved in mini storage for a couple locations in my industrial uh, industrial buildings and parks that I was part of. And uh, it did well. We, we sold them off 10, 15, 20 years ago, I guess now. But, uh, but they, were, they, they were definitely nice little businesses. Our problem is we didn't, we didn't really run them. We just, had, we just built them and, and said they'll come. They kind of did, right? But uh, those yeah. that built them and, and expected them to come and then serviced them did a little better than us because we just weren't we weren't great at it, right? You got you got to you got to you got to make sure you you keep those customers coming back, 
Um, and we weren't that great at that. So I eventually sold them realizing this wasn't my, you know, wasn't something I'm passionate sure. about, but something sure. that's, that's great at mini storage is, uh, it's an amazing, amazing it, product it, if you do it well. It's great. And, it's, and you know, real estate's an interesting thing. I mean, you, you kind of, it's, it's, it, you've heard it said location, 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 and it really is. And, and if for, for a business, really one of the most important things is just to get the, the best location with the greatest amount of visibility and, you know, and to, you know, to make it happen. Yeah, so. Absolutely. I mean, what, what, what do you see as far as, uh, you know, ahead when you look at, you look at uh, the next uh, four years or whatever? I mean, we, we don't know what's going to happen with this presidency and all the other things, but mm-hmm. you know, where, where do you feel like the opportunities are going to lie in your eyes when you, when you think about uh, the, the, the change in environment because of this COVID issue and everything else? Things yeah. have changed a bit, of course. Um, sure. Uh, not because uh, I'm crazy about what's happened. I think that a lot of this is, uh, you know, just suicide to, to, to some of our states like Illinois. And yeah, I think leadership has, has been poor in many, fa- in many factors that I can see. Um, but that's, that's me. That's me, me personally, right? What do you feel it's going gonna, it's gonna to do when, you know, we've got these states that have shown they're weak in, in tough times, like Illinois, New York, and some of these other ones? I'm, I'm afraid a lot of, a lot of businesses are going are, are gonna, to, you know, that, that are growing, that are, that are changing and growing are going to are going to be uprooting. They're uprooting in states like ours, uh, the weak ones that 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 fall with a with a, something like this, to go to the strong ones where hey they figure out hey we'll, we'll we'll deal with this risk and we'll we'll be safe, but we're going to still keep people in business and we're going to keep people kids in school sure. and, and business. Well, I'm worried that, uh, you know, smart people that invest in business are going to say, okay, we're not going to any of these five states that, are, that, that you know, really, you know, created suicide to themselves and their business businesses in their state. Um, we're going to go in these states that were strong through these things and actually uh, performed, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I, I kind of look at things from a, from a, it's kind of a, a two-part question. I think I'm going to look at the answer first, maybe the larger economy. Uh, both a, a U.S. economy and a world economy, and then then drill down to like state or county level, kind of more of, a, of an application. But uh, in my business, I've been in the I've been in the investment business for 31 years, and when I started, the the Dow wasn't even at 2,000, and it's you know hit 30,000 cents, so it's a 15x return over 31 years. I can maybe over 31 years remember six or eight months of that time where people were optimistic. You know, they're, they're pretty much always looking for the next shoe to drop or the next politician or, or something to happen or a change in office. And if you look at statistically, when the Republicans have Republican House, Republican Senate presidency, stock market, and these are, these are top of head, so, you know, grain of salt, but approximately is an eight, 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 eight and a half percent return uh, the last 50, 60 years. If you have a Democratic office, it's higher. It's like nine and a half, ten percent. That's not because it's just because of spending that typically happens. And if you have a divided, a divided office where you have a presidency of one, and then uh, then the House or or, or the Senate is divided, it's the highest. The average returns almost eleven percent for the stock market during that period of time. And the reason being is it's more predictable. There's less change because neither party is able to execute their individual agenda. And as a company, you can make more predictions because probably nothing's going to happen. Me, a lot of talking, a lot of smoke, but not a lot happening. Yeah. Then you've got to take a look at the second thing. So from a geopolitical perspective, I think that's, I think it's probably, I mean, if, if the Republicans maintain the Senate, it'll, it'll provide that uh, divided uh, power, which will, which will result in compromise. Then if you look forward at, at, 
and capital, there's been about $4 trillion of stimulus between PPP and special programs that have gone out into the, into the economy. That's about four times what was done in the, in the great housing crisis. So it's, this is significant. And I don't think people really understand the magnitude of that. So if you, if you have a $100,000 and you take that money and you buy a house, that $100,000 goes into a bank that's controlled by that home builder, right? Then it ends up cycling through the financial system. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Is that 100,000 uh, then goes into a bank. The bank can loan 90%, doesn't have to, but can loan 90% of, its, of what's in checking and savings accounts. That's, that's uh, they have a 10% loan reserves. So that money's lent out, not the next day, but over some period of time. That goes to somebody who wants to buy a house, car, whatever it happens to be. That money, when you buy the car or the house or the groceries, goes into another bank. That also goes through the monetary system. And those, can, those deposits can be lent out 90 cents on the dollar. So mathematically, every dollar that gets put into the economy has a multiplier of 10 over a period of 18 to 24 months. And our U.S. economy total size is approximately 27 trillion. So we had four trillion new dollars that were not budgeted to be put into the economy, on top of a 27 trillion dollar economy. Now, yeah, sure, it softened and it had a big pullback. But take four trillion, multiply that times 10. That's 40 trillion. So we have a 40 trillion dollar cash tsunami coming at our at our back that will be very strong. And you know, like, look now, like why are why is the stock market higher than it was earlier this year? And we're still not back to normal. It's because the market's a forward-looking mechanism. So, and interest rates are going to remain, you know, likely stay low. Um, but I always look for, you know, how do you profit in that? Are, are commodity prices going to increase because of increased demand? Probably. So, what does that mean for copper? What does that mean for these other things? Is housing? Is there going to be a demand for housing with lower interest rates? Well, that's already happened. Are people going to change their consumption patterns? Yes, they are. Is that going to accelerate 5G, Zoom, Peloton, these sort of things? It has. Is that going to affect the Roku's of the world or the Apple's or Amazon's? And it does. And then who's a benefactor and who's not from a market standpoint. And then from where you choose to live and do business in our country, you're exactly right. Um, you know, people are, are now seeing, I think, in way greater magnitude than ever anticipated is I can be, you know, pretty productive at home. Maybe not as productive, maybe in some cases, maybe even more productive. You know, I can, and I, most people, if you work an eight hour day, you're driving, you're leaving your office, you're going to lunch, you're coming back, you're commuting. It's not all effective time, you know? Yeah. So when you're at home, you cruise upstairs and grab a ham sammy and come back down. I mean, you're back in, you're back in business, you know? So your effectiveness is there. Your fatigue levels are oftentimes lower with commuting, traveling, things of that nature. So, I think the way people do business will change. Productivity is already increased. Um, so I think it'll be interesting, interesting to, to see how things go. But I think what I'm, what I'm going around about that is if you have a choice of paying, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13% state tax, federal taxes in the top bracket, if, if they move from, you know, 36 to 39.6, that's a factor. So you're if 39.6 plus a 10, 12, 13, you're the minority recipient of your earnings you know so do you want to stay in a place if you're going to be cruising around your house on zoom calls uh, anyway or you may not enjoy what theory has to offer or would you rather move to another very nice area you know so i think that's why the 
you know, kind of like the, the, the Sun Belt is experiencing a lot of growth and the Southeast is, uh, has some, some advantages over different areas that you know, some people f- find attractive. The, the weather, the political environment, uh, their approach to, to unions or whatever it happens to be, they're, they're different things that, that appeal to, to different people. Sure. Yeah, so a lot, of, a lot of shifting probably in population, in my opinion, in the next five, six years after, after experiencing the stuff that's gone on, right? Especially like you're saying, the, the ability to work anywhere in the world for, and, and do your job compared to having to go to a central office, a big difference maker, right? So. Yeah, and one thing I'd like to say, well, one thing also I've seen a huge, huge thing, of, uh, a huge difference is companies that are experiencing uh, maybe in, in the the leadership's view, an extraordinary uh, limitation on how they do their business in a state. You said you're, you may, maybe you're in Illinois, or maybe you're in California, or maybe you're in Washington, and you say, well, I can still do my business, but it's so restricted. However, I see the folks in Texas are wide open, and I see the Carolinas are wide open, or Florida's wide open, and you're like, and you know their COVID numbers aren't that different than ours. It's not you know, necessarily a one-to-one, but for the uh, exchange of independence and freedom to operate vis-a-vis the, the percentage of out, outbreak, it's not that different. Um, would I rather be in an environment that was more liberated? And maybe at the same time, I go to Texas and there's no state tax on top of that. So I'm dropping 9%, 10% of my income, you know, and I'm in an environment that's, you know, it's relatively open or Carolinas or Tennessee or someplace. Yeah. Tennessee, Florida, right? All these places, you know, mm-hmm. all these places, the zero income tax are, are sure. you know, it's, uh, it's, um, you know, it's tough to, tough not to think about that. Right. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, when, when, uh, when you look at, uh, you know, mentors in your life, you know, you've, you've done so many different things. You're involved in a lot of different things that you're passionate about. Who are people you saw that are super passionate about either these things or others that inspired you to think the way you do? You, know, you mentioned Chuck Norris earlier on, which is pretty cool. Yeah. He, uh, he's a friend of a friend of mine. He goes to, he ranch, he goes out to a ranch in, um, uh, in Montana with a good buddy of mine. And, uh, and they, they, they spent time together. I heard nothing but amazing things about Chuck Norris, what a quality guy he is. But, I haven't talked to him forever. I'd love to, to reconnect with him. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What, what are the what are uh, who are other people in your life that kind of inspired you to think differently or, or be who you are today? You know, I would say it's, it sounds. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I have a list of about ten. But you know, my parents were fantastic um, uh, in encouraging me that you can do whatever you put your mind to. Um, I've had pastors that we can get, give you things, you know, uh, you know, everything from a, from a saying that Henry Ford says, well, you think you can, or you think you can't in both cases, you're right. Yeah. And where Jesus Christ says a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Um, and I think that learning from, from, from pastors, learning from family members, and I kind of view life as a buffet where I've had people tell me you you can't do this or you're not going to make it or you don't have that ability. And, you know, I, I would like to say it hurts my feelings, but it kind of jacks me up. I'm like, you know, can you tell me that again? <laughs> yeah, I love that stuff. You know, you're going down. I'm like, yes, yes, let's get going. You know, I'm like energized. Right. So, so, so I mean that kind of it and just, you know, finding, you know, and then, and seeing, I love to hear the underdog stories, you know, like the, I like the you know, the Olympics where these wounded you know veterans are, are are competing. I just love the heart of what these guys do. So I mean, I learn. So I don't know of anybody I haven't learned something from and spent time with. Whether it's even something that 
you can even learn the antithesis of what they are. If it's like they're doing things, you, well, I would learn maybe I don't want to do that, you know, or maybe to do this. But, you know, people, I listen to Napoleon Hill and books on tape. I've listened to Zig Ziglar substantially. I've listened to Anthony Robbins. I've listened to Robert Kiyosaki. I've, I've read, I've read uh, maybe a book or two a month for the last 30 years you know, on my subject or on, you know, on goals. And what I try to look at is what do I partake? What, what do I, where do I struggle? You know, like you know, at first I wasn't a very good manager of people or a very good delegator. I had to do everything myself. And then, and certainly can grow in that area substantially still, but, you know, try to learn about how to do that. And now with YouTube, you can almost search, not that everything on there is a fantastic solution, but there, that is books on tapes. There's audible so just about anything you want to learn, you can learn. You can read reviews and, and say, how do, I, how do I find a mentor if I don't have one? And then I would just find people, whether it's at my companies at Merrill Lynch or people that I know. Most people, if you ask them and you're polite to tell you what they know or how they did it, will we'll tell you. I mean, I found exceptions, but it's really rare that people won't tell you. You know, how did you grow your pest control business or how did you grow this or yeah, how did you do that? What I always found too, Eric, is when it, when they don't want to share with you, it's probably because there's nothing to share, right? I mean, there's <laughs> a facade maybe of success, but the success maybe didn't come from uh, from them, right? Exactly. And like the, the, the and just about every day I, I start, the good days, I, I start where, you know, trying to be, th- be thoughtful, think and plan, but, you know, you have obstacles and I'll write like my goal for me is like, what's my biggest problem today? And, you know, some days you have, well, I, how do I narrow it down to one, right? I've got so many, but pick one and then think of ways to solve it and write it down and don't, don't go on and prioritize your action steps based on, on your answers and then take action right away. And, and oftentimes that's ridiculous, so ridiculously effective that you, that for me anyway, I, I forget to do it sometimes because like, this really works well. You know, and, it, and I know that some of the largest relationships I've opened over the years where if I could call anyone in the world, meet anybody to help me with this project, what would I do? And I'd come up with some names and then I'll try to get to them. And, you know, sometimes it works. I'm, like, I'm just talking to this person in London who I've heard of for 35, 40 years, and they're going to cover a Forbes magazine and they took my phone call. Wow, that wouldn't have happened if I didn't do that. And it's not that I'm anything, why would they take my phone? I'm not nothing special. It's just, you know, people are, are, are people. If you're kind and respectful, they're oftentimes very able, very easy to approach, you know. And just, absolutely, absolutely. And you find, you find those that have had extreme success, it's because they love people usually and they're, and they're servant, yeah. servant-minded people, as you, you and I uh, believe, right? They're servant-minded people. They love people. And they like to talk about and share their, their experiences of success in whatever they're great at, right? If they're, if, they're great, if they're the greatest in the world at something, in my opinion, then, then they love sharing how they got there because they're not afraid of competition. They're the greatest in the world. So well, reach out to those people if, if you can, like you do and I've done in my life. And boy, it's amazing the relationships you can gain from people that are the best of the best in the world because they love sharing with people that are passionate about the same, same thing, right? And most people, sadly, miss like, I mean, I think dieting is no secret. I mean, I think if you were to ask a diet, Everyone's got new diets, new this, new. How do you? How do I maintain fitness? A new workout program, or you know, this this Peloton. This is the thing that will you know change the world. But I mean, it's it's pretty much eat less, move more. <laughs> you know, that's pretty much it. Now you can make it complicated, 
you, you can you can have what do you eat when do you eat how do you eat how do you move where do you move how do you, so you can make it complicated but really success is just that simple you know you know, decide where you want to go and make plans and get there you know or you can make it very complicated you know well and, and what you said though is not as common as you, you might you and I might think either to actually plan and have a plan you know right. I, I, there the stats are out there right not, you know right five percent of people that are that are successful and what they you know what they want to be great at have a plan and and right. only the, you know five or ten percent of society actually has a plan right so right. so I mean, that one thing right there if if you you know if you um uh you know have 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 goals and aspirations without a plan you're you're like a, a boat with no rudder right you just kind of like compared to boy you know what I, I i'm gonna i'm gonna meet with the right people i'm gonna i'm gonna build the right plan and that plan will vary a little bit you have to pivot here and there right but overall right. man a plan makes a big difference doesn't it it does, you know, and, and I think that, that I mean, I've given talks on goal setting before to, you know, a fair number of people, and, and I kind of like it, and I'm a pilot. You know, we talked about before we started, I fly, I fly an airplane. I haven't flown in a little while, but I fly. And if I, if I take off, and I want to start my heading to, I'm going to leave Greenville, South Carolina, and I want to go to Miami, Florida, and if I do my initial heading, and if I don't make a constant adjustments, I mean, every, if you, if you, even on autopilot, you can feel the yoke turning you know, every few seconds because you're adjusting for wind, barometric pressure, altitude, uh, you know, all kind of rain, whatever. You're always making adjustments. And it's the same in, in, in life. You're always going to be making adjustments. You're always unexpected things that come up. And, but if you know where you're going generally, that, that's, that's the biggest thing. And I had people say, well, have you ever failed in a goal? And I'm like, absolutely. Have you ever come short? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, what do you do? I said, I set a new goal. Like, what? Yeah, I just make a new goal. So sometimes when I see this isn't working out, you know, maybe I was a little uh, too optimistic about this scenario, you know? <laughs> you know? Maybe, maybe I can't lose 45 pounds by the end of the month. So uh, let's, I have an amputation. <laughs> you know, four ounces a day, it's, uh, I don't have enough time, right? So then I have to say, you know, maybe I do like biscuits. So, I mean, how, so how do I, so how do I make, make a change to, to, to get there that's within, that's doable for me in my area? And you'll find that, in, in, you, know, if, you know, I look at five areas, faith, family, fitness, finance, and friends. That's faith, family, fitness, finance, and friends. And I say I kind of do a spoke, and I've given quite a few talks on, on this one, and imagine a wagon wheel, and, and, and you've got a wheel on the outside, and, and you start from the hub, and, and going out, maybe, maybe uh, five inches is, is your max scale. And five inches, if you go the whole distance, you're a 10, you know, and, and, you, and maybe an area of finances you're struggling. So instead of a 10, maybe it's a two, you know, and maybe relationships, well, those aren't too good. Maybe they're whatever. And you kind of go around, then you, then you draw a line around like your wheel, and you look at, man, that's a wobbly wheel. You know, and that's, I've got a, some areas of three, some's a one, some's a four. What do I do? And then, then you kind of miss a, a visual of where you are and where you're struggling. That's, it's, to me, it's so simple. And it, 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 if you do that once a month, like, oh, man, my, my family's struggling or my faith is struggling or my finances are struggling or my fitness is struggling or my friends. I, I haven't gone in with a friend in uh, three months. I've been cooped up. So how do I do this? And I remember I was speaking one time, and I said, ultimately, you want a round wheel. And the guy stood up. I said, I'm 
I've got a round wheel. And I'm like, great. He goes, they're all ones. <laughs> everything's terrible. But, man, is it, is it predictable? You know, so, so how do you, you know, you know th- th- think about that? And, you know, life's just a balancing act. You have things that, that you know, you have. You know, I read a quote the other day. Um, you know, and it, it's, life is 10%. I don't know if the statistics are entirely accurate, but it's, uh, at least it's directionally correct say 10% of, of, of life is, is what happens to you. And, and 90% is how you respond to what happens. Now, whether it's 15 or 85 or what it is, but I think direction that's correct is that, you know, I had a stutter, I had a car wreck and, and, and I, and I had a choice to say, I'm going to let this keep me down. I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm not going to talk to people because I feel inferior or whatever happens, or I can push forward and just say, that's just who I am. And I'm going to use this as a strength and make lemonade out, out of lemons. And, and you know, for a very big part of my life, I was very sad about having that happen to me. And, I, and when I, my stutter began to go away substantially was when I was, became grateful for it. And it's, yeah. so it's kind of the same thing in any lie in anything where it's a failure or you, you took a bankruptcy or you, you had a divorce or you've had a, a death in the family or you've had a business, you know, not work out or, you know, how does good come out? How does beauty come from ashes? You know, yeah. and I think that, that that's, that's something to try not to lose sight of. You also had an advantage over most people. You actually were a lemonade entrepreneur one time too, though. So it would be easier for you to you make lemonade out of lemons, right? The lemonade entrepreneur did help. Yeah. I mean, it, it was very helpful. And a lot of people, and it's, and again, it's so, 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 so much easier said than done. And I guess, you know, but just trying to encourage people to, you know, sometimes the hardest part's just getting up one more day and trying again, you know, yeah. and, and how yeah. do you do that? And I tell my kids when things are rough, I mean, think of something to be grateful for. And I was talking to somebody the other day and, you know, nothing was going, going well with them. And then they began to have uh, a physical impairment. And they're like, wow, I didn't, wasn't thankful for that, that I didn't have that. And is there, are there things that you can kind of build momentum almost like you're going to run a mile. So I'm going to walk a block first. Are there things to try to build a, a, a culture of gratitude, you know, be thankful in all things, you know, are there things that I can find to be grateful for, even though you know, it might be challenging right now? Well, I'd say that means so much to me, Eric. I mean, I, I, I go to bed every night, uh, you know, just, just, you know, in my prayers being grateful, everything I got. And then I try to wake up every morning. If I, if I don't, if I don't have to get out of bed super fast to get moving, I, I, I want to lay there for five minutes to be thankful again and grateful again for what I have. Right. And, and, and if you can, if you can think that way on a daily basis, boy, your life is so much easier, right? Cause we've got so much to be thankful for. I don't care who you are. You know, if you live in America, you got to like a lot to be thankful for. If you, if you're fortunate enough that you can, you can be a leader in, a bu- in business in any way and, and, and you're leading people, man, that's a beautiful thing to be thankful for, right? If you, if you, if you, if you believe in God and you're, and you're talking to God, that's something to be thankful for. So there's so many things we can be thankful for. And, and if, if, you, if you start your day, end your day, whatever you do, right, and, and you can do that on a daily basis, boy, your life is pretty good. And then, I mean, it, it's amazing how your, your attitude is, right, compared, compared to otherwise. And I, I didn't always do this, but I definitely uh, – uh, to get through tough times, if you if if you can always pick those things out that you're grateful for, it makes it a lot easier. So. Oh, it's tough, and sometimes you having having people to talk to really helps. But I mean, going that, that the end of the Amazon movie we talked about, one of the biggest blessings for me is I met people in 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 rural South America who didn't own shoes, didn't have anything, and were surprisingly happy. 
I mean, they were, I would say, on general, smiling people, happy, very simple life. And, it, and, and then I, I was there for, for, you know, a week and a half or so. And then when I go to you leave, leave a very rural area, when I uh, went one place we went to, and I thought we went to share Christ with this person, and, and they came out with a Bible and said, somebody beat you to it. It was pretty funny. <laughs> you know? but, but, but to see the, 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 the like, really? How did that happen? But I mean, the, with the joy in some people's lives, you, you even have nothing. Um, and then I remember getting off the plane in Miami, which is by and large a wealthy, wealthy area. I mean, certainly not everyone, but, but seeing the, 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 the frustration and anxiety and pressure uh, just from like a, a rural village to a major metropolitan area in a beautiful part of the world was, was a stark contrast for me. And then just yeah. like, you know, so, and, and sometimes the, uh, the, the difference between our expectations and our reality can, can really be uh, uh, the greater the distance, the, the greater the frustration we can experience. And sometimes just the idea of seeing having a path to pursue your expectations can alleviate a lot of the, and enjoy the process can alleviate some of the anxiety. Absolutely. That's awesome. Huh? You're, you're, uh, you're a fun guy, man. You, you, you know, you lead a life that's, uh, it's balanced, but yet pretty crazy. And, and yet you, 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 you've got, uh, you've gained all this perspective of how, you know, how to handle all these things. And, uh, I think, I think a little ADD probably, uh, like myself and many friends, it, it a little? Like, <laughs> you know, uh, again, 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 a great blessing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, if you embrace it, right. And, and don't let people tell you it's a, it's a bad thing. It's a, it's a, it's a blessing. And you know, Robbie, what, what are you getting out of this dude? Young, young punk like you, uh, listen in uh, young leader like you, what are you getting out of this stuff, bud? Yeah, ironically, the last point that he just brought up is actually the background on my computer. Uh, the quote, the quote that I have is happiness equals um, reality minus expectations. Uh, mm. So I com completely agree with uh, the approach that you had there in, in terms of like your state of mind. I, I think this, the same case kind of holds true across every path in life, and regardless mm -hmm. of if it's a personal relationship that you have or your career that you want to approach. I think you just need to go into it with an open mind and, and let the and the circumstances ultimately come to you. And like you said, it's how you respond to the circumstances. It's, it's not necessarily what the circumstances are themselves. Um, Absolutely. But I, I, I do have a question, uh, a question for you. So uh, I'm pretty fascinated by the way that you uh, actually explained uh, your mentality around investing. Uh, and I, I think about it as more of like a human centric approach or understanding of trends and and I do also agree. I think people are relatively predictable. So I think it's a good way to ultimately improve the probability of success for yourself. Uh, so when it does come to investing, I'm interested to understand how you pair that mentality alongside the ideology, like a, a rights law or a Moore's law. And, and how do you then go into uh, picking where you want to invest both your time as well as your money? Yeah. So, so I, I kind of think about, um, I'll go to money first and come back to time. And uh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll try to get, get them both at the same time. So I had somebody tell me when I was 12 or 13 and it wasn't like a one-on-one -on -one me, it was at my church. And, and I kind of had a big takeaway and he said, like, imagine if you read an epitaph and the epitaph said, here lies, you know, a, a loving father, f f fantastic friend, great business person, loyal associate, 
you know, big hearted, lugged, hugged everybody. And they walk up and the wife's like burst into tears and cries and what's going wrong is <laughs> they buried the wrong man. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> so, it's like, so you're like, well, wow. So, so I had a guy tell me like at age 13, it, write your own epitaph, you know, and live life to be that person. You know, so what do you want your epitaph to say and how do you spend more days than not, you know, be, being that person or pursuing that, that personhood. So that impacted me. And then on the investment side, it's like, you know, there are things that are changing and morphing. And for me, whether it's biotech or tech or finance, um, people are typically drawn by a pursuit of pleasure or avoidance of pain. And generally speaking, so that's your most basic thing. And probably the greatest is avoidance of pain. So if you're looking at whether it's technology or biotech or health, or if things can become faster, easier, and and understanding the the change of technology of going from a 2G, 3G, 4G, 5G, and look at the, the change of infrastructure, will be fairly predictable in the demand of that. Uh, and, and if you can stream content, if you can get content, if you can download uh, a movie in seconds instead of it taking an hour and a half. And I remember when I first on the internet, you may not remember this, but it was like making all these noises when you're signing on and going from telephone lines. You know? Oh, yeah, the, the, dial, the dialogue. Right? Now it's like, you know, on my iPhone, man, what's wrong with this? I can't download the movie in three seconds, you know? So, so but we... The, that's kind of going back to, 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 to Moore's Law, but looking for where change is, and then, then I try to find the uh, people who are competent to talk about it. So with the stocks, me, you know, Motley Fool sometimes is, is easy for everybody to have access to, and they have good things to say. And then if you have more access, then I would call companies or back when I was doing this and saying, of course, you're the best, but other than you, who else do you like you know, in, this, in this space? Or where do you see change going? And if you talk to enough people or professionals, you kind of get a feel for where change is going. So, I mean, there, we're, we're changing communication substantially. Um, Solar communication is changing. Healthcare is changing. COVID-19 is, has probably changed the way we can fast track drugs from three years to less than a year. Um, this is not going to be a one-off. This will change the way I think biotechs do things, the way drugs are fast-tracked. So then if I'm looking for a biotech that has, you know, maybe 20 companies and trials, phase one, two, or three trials, and then maybe the stock was anticipated that a, fa- that a trials used to take three years, what if you could accelerate trials to one year? And would that change the valuation of the stock? That's not even in the stocks yet because people aren't thinking that yet, but I'm thinking that's a structural change. You know, oh, yeah. when, they begin, when they begin to, uh, to change um, you know, the first iPhone and people saw Apple go up a ton and like, well, it's over. Well, no, I, I remember I read an article 20 years ago and um, it got a little bit of well, publicity, but I said, cameras will be phones. They'll be, they'll be your wallet and they'll be your, your desktop computer. People are like, you know, burn him, he's a freak. (laughs) (laughs) But that's where we are today. And it's not that I'm that smart. It's just that that you are things are just going to be more and more simple. And it's like the the, a Tesla car. I mean, I have I drive a Tesla and it's it's a wonderful vehicle, but the adoption rate 
you know, once you break the initial inertia, the adoption of electric vehicles, I think is going to accelerate at an accelerating rate. Whereas Tesla, Ford, Porsche, everyone else. So how do you benefit from that? And find the, find the emerging leaders who are, who, are, who are part of that change. And we're like in, in Amazon, you have a Jeff Bezos who was there from day one to now. Um, find, find the next Jeff Bezos. Find people who are you know, leaders in industries and, and invest, in, invest in them. Because, you know, when I was running the hedge fund, I tried to look for companies that were going poorly and would go, go really well. 90% of companies are going to do poorly in a poor environment. 10% are going to do amazing in a poor environment. Maybe they still don't do as well as they did before, but they will grow in a poor environment. And when problems or difficulties hit an economy or hit something, it's always an opportunity for that 10%, you know, in, in, of those companies or people or whatever, where they come out the other side a lot stronger and better. Absolutely. And if you can find who those are, then, then I would invest with, a, with those people and in those companies run by those people. Yeah, we, we, we're a little, um, you know, we have a group of small companies, Eric, and, and so, so I'm saying that we have some companies that are excelling right now and some that are sure. struggling. Um, and, and some of it's leadership, some of it's industry, right? Some of it's not, not pivoting fast enough in, in, in uh, the business we're in. But uh, so there's a mixed bag, right? But no doubt in my mind, when I look at the ones that are kicking butt right now in this tough economy, I'm like, wow, I, lucky I got those. And and, and man, how, how do I find more of those, right? Whether it be a great right. CEO that pivoted fast or, or just a you know great industry that we know is solid, right? right. And, and and I mean that's the blessing of these tough times is you know really now's the time you can that, that you can actually find those companies and 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 if you can invest in those, boy, you're you're in good shape for through the, through the long haul, right? So yeah, and and, and on company investment and, and on that, you you kind of want to look for me look for category killers, you know, whether it's in the credit card industry, who's who's changing that, who's changing currency, who's changing. Uh, commodities, who's changing uh, consumption of entertainment, who's changing streaming, who's changing, you know, the portability of computers or watches, and then go go with those companies. And uh, not that I do invest in companies that are sickly oversold or that are, you know, that were, you know, beaten up because of Corona, but there are some industrials and companies that were, maybe they're down 70, 80%, and, and then maybe they come back to, to where they were, but they're not going to go up 20x or 50x or 100x. It's just not going to happen. It's just not right. possible. But if you find a, a, a true maverick, and there, there, you know, there are a handful of these at any given time that of companies that are growing, and it begins to grow, you know, kind of continue to invest as the company matures. Most people, the biggest mistakes that I've made personally investing were, were very big successes. I bought Amazon on the IPO, uh, and I and I I, I had it. For a while, it was a huge win for me. I made multiples on my money, but I sold it more than 10 years ago. And, and in that last 10 years, it's gone up multiple thousand percent. And yeah. I would never have dreamed that. You know, the first company ever to hit a trillion market capitalization was Apple. And less than 18 months later, it was the first company to hit two trillion in, in, in market cap. And who could have predicted? They said, no one's ever going to be a trillion market cap. Yeah. And then 18 months later, it's double that. So, wow. so it's, it's interesting to see when people kill it, they kill it. And yeah. it's hard to look for blue sky companies that, what I mean by that is, you know, wide open potential or blue yeah. ocean, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. yeah blue ocean is uh, yeah, a great, great term. I love to, I love to hear. Um, 
Okay, so so uh, you know we we like to uh, you know really come away with some some nuggets, uh, laws of success, nuggets of success, and, uh, and and Robbie, I know you got a bunch of them. I mean, I, you could write a book on the, on on Eric here. I'll tell you, but what what are some of the ones you came up with that uh, great takeaways for our listeners? Yeah, no, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I, I have five today. I probably could have had 10. I think the majority of this conversation was uh, a quote you'd find in a book. Um, but the, the first one, I, I usually like to just go through the order of like basically the conversation that we've had so far. Uh, the first one is be as enthusiastic about other success as you are your own. And I, I think that really tells a lot just about you as a, a person, Eric, as well as your leadership style. Uh, but I think that you can apply that to all facets of life, similar to what we were just talking about a few minutes ago is at the end of the day, it's regardless if you're helping a friend who's applying to a new job or if you're helping your parents with, uh, with their, their parents at, a, at their older stage in life as they're passing on. Uh, it's making sure that ultimately you can be there for other people at the end of the day. Uh, the second is failure is never fatal unless it's final. Mm -hmm. uh, in the, the direct quote that you actually said during this conversation that I'll apply back to this is 10% uh, of life happens to you and 90% is how you respond to what happened to you. Uh, and, and I really do believe that. And I, I think the, this year has been a perfect synopsis of how you can apply the, the coronavirus back to it was truly all about how you responded and didn't let that absorb you as a person. Oh, that's rough. Yeah. Right. Uh, the, and the third actually is uh, the, the simple way to explain it is begin with the end in mind uh, that you had mentioned. But uh, I really like that in terms of like a framework for however you want to define success. Uh, and I think that when it comes to your career, it's what is your five-year goal? What's your 10-year goal? Or maybe you, you already know what you want to accomplish in the long term. And it's making sure that you reverse engineer the right pieces today that are ultimately fostering uh, the accomplishment of that goal over time. Uh, the fourth is a, a really an underlying theme that I don't know if you, you actually directly touched on, but it's as simple as relationships matter. Uh, like you were mentioning, uh, you could reach out to someone in London and uh, a few weeks later end up on a phone call with them and it's someone you've been reading about for 30 years. Uh, take that leap of faith. Be willing to go introduce yourself or, or try to foster that relationship uh, and it can help you ultimately achieve goals that you never thought were really possible. And then the fifth, I think, is just a, was really a great takeaway for everything that you had mentioned today is the breakdown of the five different facets of life uh, that you prioritize. So it's faith, family, uh, fitness, finance, and friends. Uh, and I think it's important to practice gratitude across all of those facets. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, you, you, you picked up on a, on, a, on a bunch of those, some of the best of them for sure. Um, you know, I... I I, I, I really uh, appreciate you, Eric, as you know, you're, you're, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're a hardworking guy that, that gets stuff done and, and, you know, learns from your, learns from your mistakes of the past and, and uh, continues to grow. You know, that it's not always easy. You've had tough times, like, like a lot of us uh, to get, to get to the point where, um, you know, you've learned a lot from them, but uh, I, I, I like the, uh, the epitaph, you know, to think about what, what's going to be on that tombstone and, and, and who is that person someday. And for and most people I talk to think about that, you know, they're 50, 60, 70 years old. For you to get that message when you're like 13 is amazing. Think about 13, right? 
So guy like me, I've been thinking that way for the last 10 years maybe, but boy, I, I, had a, I got a lot of stuff to do to, to make up for the mistakes I made the first 20, 30 years of my career. So that's pretty cool that, uh, that you've thought that way for so long because it, it really does matter, right? And, uh, and, and uh, so, so I, you know, we really enjoy having you on, man. There's so many cool things about you. And uh, when, I, when I go to uh, hit balls at, uh, at, 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 at uh, Top Golf, I'm going to be thinking about you and, uh, and, and how we can – I'm, I'm, I'm going to be calling you with improvements. Hey, man, have you thought about this? Hey, dude, you, you need to talk to your team about this or that, right? There you because go. <laughs> I'm always thinking I got, there's got to be a way that you guys can partner with the best golf clubs in the area to, to, to drive back – you know, drive the, the – uh, business back and forth somehow you know that the sure. uh, I, I, I want to partner with you guys somehow in the Chicago market I, I'm just trying to figure out how because I think it uh, you know our, our golfers love top golf and top golf you know the people that play there eventually many of those people could be you know uh, the minor leaguers that get into membership someday right there they right, start right, there, right. get a passion right. there and they want to go play at a, at a, at a course so the sure. back and forth could be pretty cool but uh, I'm not sure. sure how that I'm, I'm gonna think about that a little bit selfishly because yeah. I think uh, great concept. Um, so either way, yeah. So I, I and I love the wheel too. I, I love thinking about the, you know the five you know five things that matter the most in your life and and, and, and you know weighing those on a, on a on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, annual basis, right? And how, how that wheel's rolling, man. Is it is is it uh, is, is that, uh, that that wheel pretty wobbly or is it uh, you know pretty balanced? And yeah, that's right. a, that's a that's a tough thing to manage. But boy, if you can, yeah, that, that it makes life a lot easier for sure. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's good for fast feedback. You, I don't always like what it says. <laughs> <But it's, laughs> wait a minute, and I was a little too maybe was a little too harsh on myself with that one. But but yeah, yeah. but it uh, yeah, it's, it's helpful. It's helpful. So well, th thanks for your yeah, time. Never, never you, lose you, a, you are never awesome lose your dude. humor, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> You, I said, never lose your humor. He's, I love his humor. <laughs> well, there's one, one more thing I would say too. You know, I've met a few people like you, Eric, that that have had uh, stuttering issues that have, that have become uber successful, um, and and, uh, and and I think it becomes a great differentiator, right? When you have when you have a challenge in your life and people can visually see it, right? Whether it's yeah. a friend, uh, you know, Bo Jackson's a friend of mine, and Bo. Bo uh, you know, has great stories about, about, you know, stuttering and, and how he deals with it and all that. Um, but boy, you know, another great successful guy that, that constantly is learning and growing as a, he's 50, he just turned 58 here the other day. But again, uh, for Bo, uh, you know, very similar. He, he uh, people got a kick out of him because he owned it. Right. And, and, and now it is right. still, he owns it. Right. And, and he's such a sure. cool guy. It's a differentiator that I think uh, shows humility and shows uh, shows a person just a regular person that has their own challenge here and there, right? And so whether Absolutely. whether it's whether it's a friend of mine, you know, friends of mine that are that are in a wheelchair that uh, have had mm. whether it's through birth or through accidents, right? Uh, I, I look at these people with, and, and, I, and I love having my life because I see them get through, through the difficult uh, challenge that they have to be successful. And so it's so cool when. When people can actually uh, look at those things as a blessing, instead of others that might look at it as a crutch, and hopefully you you know you inspire others that that have have an issue right to say, my man, if Eric could do all that and kick you know kick butt in business and do all the things he's doing, hell man, I I can do it too, right? So that, that, uh, that'd be great. That'd be great. That's the goal. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, it's not it's not that it'd be great. You do that. I'm, I guarantee you, you do that every day. You're inspiring people every day because they're like, man, if that Eric dude could be so successful, I, I could do it too, right? And that's the, that's the fun part of life. It's you know being an example with your share experiences for all those people that that that, that you know want to uh, you know you want to accomplish something in their lives, right? So. 
So we, we're blessed to have you. I can't wait to meet you face to face. Yeah, look, we look forward to meeting you. Come to Chicago and look me up, and I'm gonna. Be I'm careful gonna about the golf invites. You know, have, you know, you know. I might, I might head up there, so uh, that'd be fun. Well, Mike, <laughs> if you don't, if you don't head up here, I'm gonna come looking for you because uh, you, you know you can't be a sissy and play those uh, South Carolina <laughs> golf course all time. Come, come up, come up and play a man's, a man's course, right? Full Valley. That clock begins. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna get a band. I'll play lefty. Full Valley on my head. <laughs> So I don't like karate kid. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thanks for your time, brother. You're awesome. I can't wait to meet you in person. So, yeah, likewise. Great you. meeting you both. Great God you bless both. you, brother. Thank and, you, uh, Eric. Until next time, uh, thanks for being in here and listening to us at Ditch Digger CEO. See you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you enjoy this show, please share with anyone else you think will find value here. And please go to our website, ditchdiggerceo.com for show notes, links, video clips, and more nuggets of entrepreneurial wisdom. Don't forget to follow me on social media at ditchdiggerceo and at Gary Rabine. If you listen to our show and want to become more successful, you will become more successful. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Lord, I was called Ditch Digger Man Aiming for a living and doing the best I can Discovered entrepreneurship Scaling business plans Then I became the CEO man we're blessed to build a business in America Where soldiers fight for our freedom every day Dad's work ethic was taught from the seat of a gravel truck Rolling down Highway 31 Lord, I was called Ditch Digger Man Aiming for a living and doing the best I can Discovered entrepreneurship, scaling business plans Then I became the CEO man